0: Today, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and uh, for obvious reasons, uh, we're going to leave the book of Romans and go to Galatians, and we're going to talk about adoption. Now, I will tell you this, that Romans talks about adoption three times. It talks about adoption twice in Romans 8, where it says that believers uh, who are adopted into the family of God groan for the redemption of the sons of men, and then uh, speaks in Romans 9 about Israel being adopted. By God as a nation, chosen out of all the nations. And uh, so, uh, it's apropos uh, that we would come to Galatians chapter 3. So, uh, again, if you're visiting, we believe the Bible is the word of God. There's not much to say. If the Bible is not the word of God, not much to talk about. And so, this is God's word. So, would you please, as I read, read along and follow along. Paul says in his argument to the Judaizers who were perverting the gospel, he asked this question, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law could have been that could have given life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith, Nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male, no female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is an owner of everything. But he's under a guardian and managers until the date set by his father. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Appropriate text, is it not, for adoption. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that uh, your spirit would work this morning. We pray for those who feel that they are left out in the cold, that they have no family, have no father, that you would reveal yourself to them. And Father, at the same time, I pray for those who do know Christ, but uh, as uh, as I think Lisa so aptly said, uh, we stay in our room by ourselves, not convinced that you are our Father. And so I pray, Lord, for those believers this morning who need to once again hear the good news of the gospel, that they would be strangely warmed once again. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I was asked to, last spring, uh, if I would consider doing this sermon. For y'all that know me, I don't, I don't like to get off course. I, mean, I don't like to preach on topics. I like to preach verse by verse. But when I was asked to do this by Emily and Lisa, I was very intuitive and I said, absolutely. I'll do that. And I think the reason being twofold, number one, is... Um, What a sacrifice. To to take somebody that you don't know, make them part of your family, those who don't belong, those who are of completely different culture, to bring them in so that they might have all rights and privileges to be Millers and to be Johnsons. And so, and not only for the parents, but for the children, the natural born children of the parents who are willing to, as it were, split the inheritance. So that others might have benefit. But the other reason I think I was intuitive about this is because there's a doctrine that theologians talk about called the doctrine of adoption. In fact, it is a neglected doctrine. I had a good friend of mine when I was in seminary named Robert Wormuth. And uh, Robert was doing his uh, thesis, master's thesis, on the doctrine of adoption. And uh, I remember him telling me, you know how there's very little that has been written on the doctrine of adoption. And he was surprised at that. Now, a lot of people speculate as to why in our tradition, what we call the Reformed tradition, the Reformation tradition, okay, Reformation, the reason that we don't talk about adoption and the subjective experience of the Spirit Uh, adopting us into the family of God is because at the time of the Reformation there was so much confusion in the church about what the pure gospel was which is justification by faith alone through Christ alone that they kind of backed off anything else. That was the critical uh, teaching of that time. And so what's happened over the years in the Protestant tradition we hammer home that we are justified not by works but by Christ, at the expense of the subjective realities of being sons and daughters, where we cry of a father through adoption. And so I want us to look at that today. I, I don't have a lot of time. And so we're going to kind of work through this passage pretty quickly, but there's three things that I don't want us to, to see from our from our text. And I have to be brief on each point. But the first thing that I want us to see is this. Why it is only through adoption that God can become our Father. Very clear in our text. Because here's this teaching that God is the Father of all. Kind of a universalism. And then I want us to see why Christ has to be your brother before you can be adopted. And we'll see that in our text. And then finally I want us to see... How can you really know if you're adopted? Are you really adopted in the family of God? Or are, you just, or are you just kind of believe Christian truths? Are you born again? Or does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Or are you crying out, Abba, Father? Because nobody else will listen. Nobody else can hear. Nobody else can know. And so the first thing to see is this. Why it is only through adoption that God can become our Father. If you would, would you look at your text in verse 21? Paul asks this question, Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law could have been given that would bring life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And if you'll jump down to verse uh, 25, he talks about the law is pointing us to our need for faith in Christ. And he says, verse 26. Notice what he says in verse 26. For in Christ you are sons of God through faith. Now let me tell you what the Bible is very clearly teaching right there. Is that not everybody's a son of God, okay? Now, I know we live in a culture that, that, that confuses tolerance with clear thinking propositionally. But obviously, if some have to be adopted into the family of God, that would suggest that those who are not adopted are not the children of God. Now, let me give you a for instance on that. I, I've been asked a couple of times, they don't ask me anymore, but to pray at the University of Georgia graduation, to go to Stanford, Stanford Stadium and pray and pray. And so the first time I was asked uh, after, I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. You know, be out there in the football field praying to the king of the universe, for all these students. And then I said, sure. They said, oh, by the way, I need to qualify something. I went, oh, here we go. Remind me of my chaplain days at Vanderbilt. Uh, well, we, you just need to make sure that you kind of keep it generic. But we can't get into, like, a God the Father and so on and so forth. And I said, well, you know, I can't do that. I'm a Christian, okay, now what you need to do is you need to pick up the phone and call the Unitarian pastor. And I was serious, I was not being, I was not trying to be pejorative because it believes in the fatherhood of God of all people. Uh, You might see the the bumper sticker that says uh, it has coexist and has all the different symbols of, of religions. Uh, And the idea uh, behind that, and and I appreciate the intent behind it, I I don't mean to slam it, but it is this idea that, uh, hey, can't we all kind of get along here? Because after all, God is the Father of all. It's not what Jesus taught. Jesus, who is God? God in the flesh who comes and says, You are of your Father, the devil. You see, the scriptures teach that we're bound in sin. Now, a lot of folks would look and say, "Well, is not Adam our father?" And and the fact is, he—I mean—is he not the son of God, and we are his children through Adam being the son of God? Well, if you read Luke, it teaches—if you follow the genealogy of Christ—it goes all the way back to the first Adam, and it says, "Who is the son of God?" But the problem, and what is interesting also to see about this, is when God created Adam and Eve, He created them in the context of family. He created them male and female, and therefore a man shall leave his mother and father, forsake his mother and father, and cling to his wife, and create a new unit the family, you see. But what Adam and Eve chose, rather than being part of the family of God, and the children of God, and for us to be worshipers of God together, they went their own individualistic way. And they chose to rebel. And so they got disconnected from God and they got disconnected from each other. And so what we have in our culture today throughout the world is a whole lot of disconnectedness because we are no longer children of God but we're enemies of God according to the scriptures. And so Paul is trying to address this in the book of Galatians. And he's saying that What continues to divide us ultimately is the fact that rather than looking to God as our Father and Christ our brother, we look at the instrument that God has given to show us how shattered we are, which is the Ten Commandments. And so he's pointing out to the Judaizers who said, no, Christ is not enough. It's Christ plus what you do. Christ plus your efforts. He's saying that you're looking to Moses and the heirs don't come from Moses. The heirs come through Abraham who is justified by faith. 400 years before the law. And so God gave 10 more commandments. Long after the one was broken, He says to be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now let me tell you, if you and anyway, anybody in here, you think that being a Christian is yes, Jesus died, and I have to do X, Y, and Z. Or I don't believe in Jesus, I need to be a good person, or whatever it may be. Let me tell you, the law has not done its work. The purpose of the law is to make you miserable. The purpose of the law is to shake out of you all hypocrisy that you have in your life. For there is none righteous. there is no, there is not one, and I would say this, if you're smugness and your self-righteousness or you think you're basically a good person and that you're going to be able to stand before God because, uh, you know, you, you've never committed adultery or you've never murdered anybody, let me tell you, you're the furthest person from the kingdom and you have not been to Mount Sinai where the law is threatening. And the people of God say, Moses, you go on our behalf. And so a veil is put over his face because of the glory of the law that condemns. And Paul is very clearly saying, you will not enter into the presence of God and be part of his family by works, okay? You can't perform enough. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing to say. Uh, The second thing to say is this, uh, why Christ has to be our brother before God can be our father. In other words, you're not getting into the family of God by trying to be better, to be a better family member. You ever felt like, man, I just need to kind of get better here. Now, how many of you have already adopted into the family and you're still thinking, okay, I, have, you know, I probably shouldn't have done this week. Uh, I did some things I shouldn't do. So I'm going to have a quiet time for two weeks and then when I do that and I feel a little bit better about myself then I'll come into the presence of God. Martin Luther would say to you, you fool, that the law continues to help believers look to Christ in Him alone by faith. That's what discipline is, you see. But the second thing to see is why Christ must be our brother before God can be our Father. Is Christ your brother? Is He your older brother? Are you looking to him and the inheritance that he brings? Or are you looking to the fact that you are a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a church member or, uh, you know, we have pastors that are out there. You're a pastor. I remember when I was a kid, before I knew Christ, I, I, I would read in obituaries and I'd read about a preacher who died. And I thought, man, I wish I was that dude. He's probably okay. Of course, I know better now. It's like, I hope that guy knew Christ. I hope he was preaching the gospel. But that's what he says. Look with me here in verse, uh, in in the verses uh, uh, that are in the first part of chapter uh, four. I mean, as long as, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now what Paul is saying quite clearly here is that the way that you come into the family of God is not through the flesh, not through anything that you do, but through adoption that is afforded us through Christ who is the second Adam the Son of God, the unique Son of God. And you, you have to understand this. Please, you must grasp this. That this morning you are in one of two people. You are either in, Christ, in Adam and in his sin, and you're dead in your sin. Or according to our text, Christ comes to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, not to abrogate it, Martin Luther says, our text tells us, therefore, that, it doesn't say he's born of a virgin, even though he was. It said he was born of a woman. And the reason Martin Luther says that he makes that point is, the reason he puts it that way in the Greek is to make the point that Jesus is fully human. And he had to learn obedience as what? A son. We gotta kind of think this idea, well, Jesus is God, and so you know, he was never really tempted because God nature helped out his human nature. I'm telling you, the Bible teaches that you have in this one person two distinct natures fully God, but fully man. And let me tell you what he needed to hear from his father at the baptism. As a human, this is my son, I am pleased with you. And then, of course, the Mount Figuration. Right before he's getting ready to be crucified, he he needs to hear again, This is my son. And Peter and James and John heard that. But what is our text saying? Our text is saying that the law was a schoolmaster to point us to the second Adam. He is the older brother in the prodigal son. You know the story? The younger brother who screwed up everything and he comes to the father. And I'll come back to that later. And then you have the older brother. And guess what? He did not want his brother to have those things. That's not right. That's not fair. All these years I've labored. And here's this jerk that's going to come in here and you're going to divide up the inheritance again. But you see, Christ is the older brother. And the difference, the true older brother, and the difference between the older brother and the prodigal son and Jesus is that the older brother never wanted a relationship with his father. He wanted the benefits, the stuff, the fields, the money. He wanted his father's inheritance, but he did not want the father. But Let me tell you what Jesus he, it says in our text that God sent His Son. The Son who loved Him. And as a human being, He saw the world for what it was and His delight was in the Father. So He is the older brother, this is the true older brother, who not only says, yes, I tell you what, let him have some of the inheritance. He says, I will become bankrupt So that my prodigal brother might receive all the inheritance. And that he might know the Father, even as I know the Father. There it is, right there in your text. It is through Jesus Christ you receive adoption. Now let me ask you before I come to the last thing I want to say before we take the Lord's Communion. Do you know this older brother? Have you put your faith and trust in Him and rest in Him alone? That, As Martin Luther says, if ever the law comes and breathes down your neck, Christ comes spiritually to us by faith to comfort us. Let me tell you what. I know you people. And if you don't think you've gr- grieved uh, sin grievously this week, you have no concept of the law of God. There's nobody here who doesn't need a mediator to say, God, would you have mercy upon me? Well, notice one last thing. As you notice in verse 4, it says God sent his son, right? And given us the status of adoption. But one last thing to say, and I want to see this, and we'll come to the Lord's table. It says in verse 6, And because your sons... Through Christ, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know why I was delighted to preach on this text? Because I'm not sure how many of us grasp this verse. Now, let me tell you the way it works. A lot of you right now, you you, you really are Christians and and you're going, man, when you get discouraged and all that, you go, man, I'm glad that my status is in what Christ did. God sent his son objectively in time and history so that I don't have to perish. But our text says, so that he might send the Holy Spirit not into the world, but where? Into your heart. Now some of you have stone cold hearts and you've never cried Abba Father. You're okay. You can figure it out. We'll wait till you're dying. You don't think you're a child now. You better start becoming like a child because one of these days that's exactly what you're going to be like. And so the essence of what it means to mature in Christ is to become more and more like a child. It takes great theology to really believe that you can cry Abba, Father. Okay? That you're adopted. That you're in the family. And by the way, and here's how the prayer should be. The prayer is not, O thou my Father who art in heaven, many pains and sorrows have come upon me, O Father. No. You know what it says here? It doesn't say pray. Pray, does it? It says, "Cry out!" What does it say? "Cry out!" Abba, Dad, 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 D. Now, if you have not been doing that, then you are much too clever. And Romans eight tells us that the Holy Spirit sometimes groans within us, intercedes for us, and the only thing we know to do is go. This is how you know. These are the eloquent prayers. Oh, Father, Father, Daddy, Dad, Dad. And let me ask you this Is the child that's hit their weakest? I mean, they're not saying Father. They can't say Father. They're saying Dad, Dad. Do you think that Dad, Dad is not going to be motivated by that child? Simply crying out. Well, I conclude by saying this. Do you know the Father in this way? Do you know what it means to be adopted that he's sent the Spirit? So you go, Lord, I've messed up again. Would you please forgive me? How many in here have figured your life out yet? And until you figure out, you have not figured out your life, you will never understand the glory of what it means to be adopted. What it means to be adopted. And by the way, can I say this? Who's choosing who in adoption? There go the Presbyterians again. But you know what the gospel is? Gospel of grace is Micah didn't know what was happening back on this side of the states. A lot of money got spent, didn't it? A lot lot of money. He didn't know it. And then they go and they choose Micah. And he has a new name, doesn't he? He He has a new country. He has a new family, a new heritage. Has God given you a new name? I'm not asking you, did you choose him? I'm asking you, have you really understood what it's meant to be plucked out of a country like China in absolute poverty with absolutely no hope and God through Jesus Christ makes you his sons? Hey, is that awesome? Is that what adoption is about? Is that why maybe some of us need to adopt children so we can figure out what grace is? I guarantee you these folks that have been adopted or have adopted understand that. So let's pray together. God, we uh, need to come now to the Lord's table as family members. Adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, our brother who gave everything to to bankrupt people, took on our bankruptcy that we might have life. Father, would you cause some to be born again this morning, to confess their sins and their hard-heartedness, and cry out, Abba, Father. And Father, for believers who have lost sight of their deep need for Christ, who have become smug in their own self-righteousness, maybe life's going good right now by their own efforts. Father, would you have mercy upon them that they do not have to hit that brick wall to understand they're not in control and look to you. Lord, we love you, praise you, and now bless us as we come to sup together and sing our hymn of conclusion.